Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 346 of the show. I'm just checking. Ooh, you know what is so satisfying, at least for me? Uh, the last episode of this season before I take, you know, um, the holidays off, it's going to be episode 350. That's a nice, ooh, nice number to end off of. It would honestly irritate me if I was to end the season off on 349. That just wouldn't sit well with me. So we've got a few more episodes to go, but not too many. But I'm going to make sure it is worth your while because I appreciate you listening. And I know there's a lot of you longtime listeners. I hear from people that have literally listened to the show ever since it uh, you know, first started seven years ago. Or thank you if you're new listening and you are one of those crazy people, but love ya, who has started from like episode one and worked your way up. And I say thank you because, ooh, those early, <laughs> those early episodes, I mean... They are, uh, I was green. I did not know what I was doing. Probably asked a lot of dumb questions, but you know what? Here's the thing. When it comes to, to, to money, personal finance, financial literacy, in my books, there is no such thing as a dumb question. It just means you just don't have the answer yet. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's about learning what you don't know so you can be more confident and advocate for yourself if you're you're working with a financial professional or you feel confident enough to do whatever you need to do on your own terms. And uh, well, this is really kind of the focus of this episode. I've got Emily Guyverkin on this show who has been, you know, a financial literacy advocate and educator for many, many years. I've been a, a, been aware of her for, gosh, probably as long as I've been blogging, which is over a decade now. And uh, in case you don't know, but honestly, you may have come across an article she's written or a book that she's written. She is a former educator, a self-professed lifelong money nerd. Uh, she's also a Plutus award-winning freelance writer who specializes in the scientific research behind irrational money behaviors. And her background in education really allows her to make complex financial topics relatable and easily understood by, you know, just everyday people like you and me. And she's also had her work featured in the Huffington Post, uh, Business Insider, Kiplinger's MSN Money, and the Washington Post Online. And she is an author of several books, including The Five Years Before You Retire, End Financial Stress Now, and the brand new book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, which was written with Joe Saul Sahi which you may be familiar if you listen to other personal finance podcasts, he runs the show Stacking Benjamins. So I know you're gonna love this episode, but before I get to that interview with Emily, here's just a few words I wanna share about this season's podcast sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Desjardins. Does your financial institution share your values? Because Desjardins is about more than just money. They are on a mission to enrich people's lives and improve the economic and social well-being of Canadians everywhere. Desjardins' main goal as a cooperative is to support its members and make a positive impact on their communities by providing exceptional customer care, offering a variety of financial services, and above all, listening to its members. They've also been at the forefront of sustainable investing as one of the first financial institutions to offer responsible investment portfolios. To learn more about Desjardins and how they're a cooperative making a difference, visit Desjardins.com. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. 
I know. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've seen your name and, and you know, things that you've written um, for years and years and years. So um, it's, I feel like, about time that I've had you on the show so we can uh, chat about things. And gosh, I didn't actually realize how many books that you've written over the years. I counted five. That's Is that correct. right? Five yeah, books? that's right. Oh, wow. Goodness. That's a lot. <laughs> um, well, before we, we kind of dive in, um, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know you've actually had a very interesting career path. You at some point were a tattoo artist. How, how did you eventually, and, and you also worked as a teacher, how did you eventually end up where you are, you know, as a personal finance writer and author? So just just to be clear, I was a temporary tattoo artist at, a, oh, <laughs> at, a, at an oh, amusement park. You know, because it's like I wrote down temporary, but I thought it meant like, oh, the play, you know, shortly. you work temporarily <laughs> as shortly as tattoo artist. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. I was a temporary tattoo artist at a um, <laughs> Six Flags. Um, and it oh. was that is the funniest uh, item on my <laughs> on my resume. Oh, that's so. a good one. I love <laughs> like that. I love it. that you keep that on your resume. You're like, yeah, people need to know. I've got this skill. <laughs> um, so yes. And, uh, I've had a very weird career. Um, by training, I am an English teacher. Uh, I taught high school English for four years. Um, and, uh, I like to say that I tripped and fell backwards into writing about money. <laughs> it was not, not my intention. Uh, what happened was, um, my husband and I moved, uh, after my fourth year of teaching, when we were um, expecting our eldest child, who was due at the beginning of the next school year. So I went into that school year expecting to take a year off, um, knowing that, uh, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to find a job that was gonna let me immediately go on maternity leave. So uh when we moved, we also had trouble selling our original house. So we went from um, two incomes to one, uh, to one, two people in the family to three, and one mortgage to two. So things were a little tight. So uh, I decided, all right, well, uh, what can I do from home? I've always been a writer. That's always something I've done. Let me see if I can find some freelance writing gigs just to keep a little bit of money coming in. And uh I was anticipating that I'd write about things that I knew about, like education, maybe a little bit about parenting, and then like the normal stuff, like travel, that sort of thing. Well, one of the first gigs that I landed was for a financial website. Um, and I was like, oh, I think I could do this. Well, my dad was a financial planner, so it's not completely out of left field. And uh, though I didn't think of myself this way, I've always been kind of a money nerd. So it turned out to fit really well. Uh, and my editor loved my work. Um, and I think one of the first articles that I wrote for him went kind of mini viral. I mean, viral in Ooh. the financial <laughs> realm. So like tens mm -hmm. of people saw it. <laughs> but still, it did well. Um, so um, he passed my name along to his friends and then invited me to the first FinCon, uh, which was in 2011. Uh, so I went to that and things just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. So uh, it was completely accidental and unintentional, but uh, I found myself becoming a personal finance expert and writer. Uh, and I found that it was a great fit for me and a great fit for my family um, because since we had moved and um, we were already uh, living in the Midwest and we're both from the East Coast originally, we didn't have any local family. So it allowed me to be the primary care person for my kids um, and, you know, be the person who could, uh, you know, last minute pick someone up who's sick or, you know, any of those things, which would not have been possible if I'd gone back to the classroom. 
That's amazing. I mean, do you find because uh, you do have this background as a teacher that helps in terms of, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, freelance writers out there and uh, but clearly you are, you know, kind of one of the, the, you know, top ones. Do you find that your background as a teacher has influenced how you explain things, especially with like jargon and terminology and concepts with uh, personal finance? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I credit teaching with, um, uh, what helped me get started so quickly because I was used to finding ways to make, um, kind of esoteric things relatable to my students. So, you know, if I'm teaching a Midsummer Night's Dream to 15 year olds, they're not necessarily going to be interested. So finding ways to make it something they're interested in and get them invested in it is something that I, I kind of recreate with like, look, you know, talking about asset allocation in your 401k is not most people's idea of a good time, but I can find a way to make it interesting and relatable and something that you can feel actionable about. So uh, it, it was really great uh, preparation for becoming the kind of writer that I'm that I am, uh, and I'm I'm really glad that I I spent spent time with surly teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, I actually I, I loved teaching. I loved my kids. Um, uh, but, you know, one of the things that I, I um, kind of liked about teenagers is the fact that they wear their hearts on their sleeve. If they don't like something, they let you know. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And which can be yeah, helpful actually as mm -hmm. a teacher. So you can kind of, mm -hmm. you know, change uh, gears and stuff like that. I know I, I noticed with a lot of your your writing and, and the tone and, and what you like to focus on is you you talk a lot about not just like the practicalities and how to's because there's I mean, there, there's lots of articles about that. I love that you focus a lot on behavior and psychology. And I feel like that's something that when I first started, you know, kind of probably when you first started doing personal finance writing, that's kind of what I started kind of getting interested in it um, myself. And I found prior, a lot of the information you'd find online really was just like how to, and it was very dry, very boring, not relatable. And I think it's so important to incorporate the psych psychological aspect of it. Do you want to kind of speak to why that's so important for you to really touch on and, and make sure people are aware of the other side of money. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we have this sense that money is this simple thing. You know, it's it's um, in the plus column or the minus column. If you can do addition and subtraction um, and simple multiplication, you can do money. But the thing is, like, you can just look at your own life to recognize that's not the case. So uh, and it, it, that was kind of um what brought me into my interest in money outside of, you know, even just growing up in, in the financial industry with my dad, uh, I was always very interested in when I made a weird financial decision, I'd be like, why did I do that? You know, and, and wanting to spend time thinking about it. I can remember, um, there was a shirt at, I was back, back in the day when you went to the mall, <laughs> There was a shirt that I was I was thinking about buying and I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend the money on it, but they were having some sort of buy one, get one. So if I bought one, I got a second shirt uh, for 50 percent off. And I was just like, oh, well, indefinitely. So I remember like uh, two days later going like, wait a minute. I wasn't sure I wanted one shirt. Yeah. And so I spent more and got two shirts. <laughs> um, and so uh, I think I, I recently described my superpower as navel gazing. Um, which is like because I spend time <laughs> thinking about these sorts of things. Um, and that's that's one of the things that has always interested me about money and decision making. 
Um, and, you know, when I start thinking about my own decision making process and things like that, and I think a lot of us don't necessarily spend our time thinking about that. You know, we were uh, we're kind of in reaction mode in a lot of ways. And I I think. I think about things like that when it comes to money because I'm a money nerd, but I don't necessarily when it comes to other parts of my life. And so I think it's really important for all of us to, you know, take a step back and think about what are the forces that are helping us um, or hindering us in our decision making processes. And if we look at money as very simple, just like can you add and subtract your good, uh, we are overlooking these larger forces that, you know, some of them are just, you know, human nature. Some of them are marketers have our number. I mean, that yeah. that that's a, that store yeah. knew mm-hmm. very well that I, if I was waffling, yeah. I was going to buy two shirts. Mm-hmm. So um, kind of recognizing what those greater forces are, uh, I think, can be a lot more helpful than like trying to tell people like, oh, on the margins, you know, like stop buying lattes, don't buy avocado toast, (laughs) you know, that, that, that's not helpful. Whereas like having a different format for looking at your decisions can be much broader and help you, um, more globally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also it always, uh, makes me think of when you see someone online like a financial influencer or you know because it's got, the space has definitely exploded online over the past couple of years and a, a lot of the the messaging I see from people is I was able to achieve this radical thing pay off a lot of debt or earn a lot of money or build wealth in a very short amount of time you can too and I can teach you and if it was you know and I tell people all the time like if it was that simple we'd all be doing it it'd be done right now mm-hmm. but there's the other, you know, it's not just the math. It's not just do A, B, and C, and then you'll get to D. Uh, it's There is so many other elements under underneath or beneath the surface that aren't usually addressed. And that's why, you know, you'll be like, I've read all these books or I've tried all these things and I'm still not, you know, debt free or I still haven't, you know, quit my job at 35 or whatever the case is. And I think that's the that's what I like to, you know, of course, talk uh, about on the show, love to give practical, you know, you know, advice and tips. But, there, you know, there's at the end of the day, it's like we're not all starting at the same place and we all have our kind of baggage that we're bringing into things. Um, I know I, I, I think it's amazing that you have five books, but I love that you have one specifically focused on financial stress. And that's another kind of thing that isn't talked about enough because it's, you know, it's ooh, like we all experience it and it's hard to kind of articulate or even to to explain or share with people. Do you want to kind of share why it was so important for you to write a book uh, and financial stress now, immediate steps you can take to improve your financial outlook? Because again, that's something that I feel like we all experience, but we don't really uh, talk about so much. But, you know, it, it, it could be a huge factor in why you aren't able to achieve some of your your big goals. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we have this narrative um, in our in our society that financial stress is the result of not having enough money. Now, I'm not going to say that that's not true. You know, there are a lot of people who are stressed because they don't have enough money. And, you know, having more money would help ease some of that stress. But the thing is, people who earn lots of money also experience financial stress. People who receive a huge windfall experience financial stress. And what it comes down to is that a lot of the money stress that we carry is not actually about the money. 
The the thing that is hard to wrap our heads around when it comes to money is the fact that it doesn't really exist. It is this delusion that we all share. We have all collectively agreed that we are going to say that these little green pieces of paper are worth something. And so um, because it does not have an inherent value or meaning, we put our own values, our own morals, our own neuroses, our own um, financial trauma on the money. And so when we are experiencing financial stress, often what we're really experiencing is that um, traumatic stress from from uh, finances in the past, that moral stress from like because we assign a moral value to money or not having money. Um, and so what I want to help people do is figure out ways to kind of let go of some of these beliefs that they carry about money that aren't necessarily true um, so that they can, for one thing, that'll help relieve some of the stress and it also helps you make better financial decisions because you can do it uh, free from that uh, that, um, kind of mental limiting belief that you might have about money. So, uh, and that's something that I don't think that we talk about enough because for one thing, um, until very, very recently talking about money was just, you know, taboo pretty much everywhere. Yeah, you didn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, and it's still very much taboo for a lot of people. Um, And then there's also the fact that um, when you're talking about stress, you always are going to have someone come in like, well, you need to get a, a, a better paying job. That's the problem, you know, who, who comes in with that. Or on the other side of it, um, for for instance, I have known people who have come into money because of a death in the family and uh, um, they feel very guilty about um, having that money and to have someone say, well, I wish I had your problem, um, right. you know, <laughs> that, like so just crazy. You're like, well, I lost some. Somebody in my life, so and <laughs> yeah. you know, yes, there. I feel very conflicted about this money. <laughs> you know, like no, you don't wish I had my problems. So, um, recognizing that this stress is real, but it is also unnecessary in a lot of ways, um, and finding ways to help yourself remember when stress is unnecessary. And also help yourself work around whatever kinds of limiting beliefs you may have or, um, you know, just work around whatever it is that causes you stress when it comes to money Um, rather than, you know, say like, oh, well, just it's real simple. Just, you know, good asset allocation, you know, spend less than you earn and you'll be fine. That's not that's so simplistic and it's no better than like, I wish I had your problems or you should just get a better paying job. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I completely uh, agree. And I feel like I, when I was, you know, really s- starting to figure out how to manage my own money, I would be um, confronted with lots of those, you know, people saying, oh, we'll just do this. And without any context or any information about me personally. And so that's why I, I struggled a lot, especially when it came to the investing side of things. Um, like as a woman, I was never, I, I was never, I didn't even know anything about investing because I feel like I was never invited to any of those conversations. And when I would ask a question that I would get a very basic answer, be like, oh, you should know this, or this is the simple, yeah, asset allocation, just do this, or just buy this ETF. And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like that is not the answer to my actual question. Um, and yeah, I think that that causes a lot of people financial stress. And then and I, I would assume too, like the the kind of consequence uh, of that. And I was reading there was a 
really helpful infographic on your website, which I thought was so uh, awesome that, you know, it kind of showed some of the consequences um, of not dealing with financial stress. And I've, I've definitely seen that in people I know. I've experienced them too. Do you want to kind of share, you know, wh- what will happen if you just let it <laughs> fester? So um, generally anything that uh, that you're letting fester, you know, you don't deal with, um, a little problems become big problems. Um, so, you know, something that's, uh, um, so let's, I mean, just talking about investing, um, if you feel intimidated and don't go into investing, this is one of those things where it's important, but not urgent kind of problem. Um, you lose out on, uh, important time in the market, which is the best way to grow your money, um, rather than timing the market, um, making sure you, um, invest early and often, (laughs) Um, is going to do a lot more for you and taking advantage of compound interest than finding the perfect time and uh, the perfect investment. Uh, so because neither of those exist. So there's there's that aspect of it. Then there's the aspect of like, oh, well, I'll deal with this later. I'll deal with this later when it comes to things like paying off debt or, um, you know, dealing with um, any kind of uh, financial problem. Um, we've all had it happen where like you put something off and something that would have been an easy, relatively easy fix becomes a giant problem that just swallows up your time or your money (laughs) or your energy. And so, uh, it's so important for, um, all of us to recognize when we're feeling avoidant about our financial problems, um, and kind of like put aside the time or the energy we need to to uh, look into it because oftentimes it's not as bad as we're afraid it's going to be um in the same way like you put off something like um going to the doctor or you know uh cleaning that horrible pot in the kitchen you know i mean anything big little and you're like oh it's going to take forever and then you finally take care of it um and you know you go to the doctor and everything's pretty much fine they tell you you might need to worry a little bit about your cholesterol but you know what you're you're pretty much healthy and you scrub the pot and it only takes you 6 minutes and it really did wasn't worth the uh, the the sturm and drang of uh, of waiting for 3 weeks to do it yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a helpful reminder for so many people. It's like, and it's honestly the pot thing. Like that's me every time I make something in my crock pot, <laughs> just let it soak for two days or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just do it. But yeah, it's like the, the worst thing you can do is to just do nothing uh, about the thing that you know you need to address. It's not going to get better by just avoiding mm-hmm. it. Right. And you don't actually avoid stress by avoiding it either because it's always lurking Mm. it's always there oh yeah it's in there so Mm -hmm. so it's not as if you're actually giving yourself a a rest or a break from that stress by not doing it uh you are just keeping the stress at at a low level um rather than you know it getting acute absolutely and uh you know i guess for okay well how do we actually address this financial stress? What can we actually do? I mean, I, I feel like maybe some of that led to you uh, co-writing your kind of latest book, Stacked, your super serious guide to modern money management, where you kind of, I mean, there's a lot of finance books out there, but I think the reason that yours stands out is it does have more of a 
kind of welcoming, humorous kind of way of explaining things. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of dry books out there that just <laughs> won't connect with people, right? And I think, you know, the reason people connect with you is your writing style. And same with your co-author, uh, Joe Salsa, he, with his, uh, you know, popular podcast is you've got some, you, you just connect with people on a kind of a, a real uh, you know, playing field. And so do you want to kind of share a little bit about, you know, what's that book about and why you wanted to take a different approach to make sure you weren't just another dry personal finance book on the shelf? So the book actually was Joe's idea and he approached me to ask if I would co-write it with him. And I was, uh, you know, the idea of working with Joe was fantastic. You know, he and I've been friends for a long time. But the other aspect of it that I was really drawn to um, has its roots in when I wrote And Financial Stress Now, um, because that was something I had been a book I'd been thinking about for eight or 10 years by the time I wrote it. And I very much wanted it to be a reassuring book for people who don't read money books. Um, After it came out, a friend of mine from college um, said to me that she was excited for me. She bought the book, but she was afraid to read it. And I was like, oh my goodness, why? (laughs) And she said, well, I'm afraid you're going to tell me I'm doing everything wrong in the book. Uh Uh And I was like, oh, no, 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 that's not at all what I'm doing. And it made me realize that no matter how reassuring my tone is, or how welcoming I am, there's still going to be people who just don't pick up money books. So with uh, the book, the idea for Stacked, uh, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management, and that's obviously kind of a joke title, um, Joe and I set out to write a book that non-money book readers would want to read. So it is, um, we wanted it to have a playful tone. We wanted it to be reassuring and open about our mistakes. And we wanted it to be funny. And so um, with the, you know, bringing on the idea that um, if we want to help people improve their finances, we need to make it as easy as possible for people to to um, to get in on on uh, on wherever they are. Uh, the people who say, I'm afraid to read this because um, I'm afraid it's going to tell me I'm doing everything wrong. Um, we want them to like know from like looking at the cover. This this book is for you. Don't worry. No one's yeah. going to yell at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a book. <laughs> yeah. They won't know you're reading it. You know, <laughs> no one's tracking it, you know. <laughs> well, and there has been so much. um in the financial media sphere, there is a subset of financial media that is about shaming people. Yes. Um, and oh, yes. shaming people as entertainment. Like, oh, look at, you know, this this person over here doing this thing. Can you believe that? And um, that for one thing, that's I entirely reject that idea that there's anyone out there who has not made mistakes with money. Um, You know, Warren Buffett has made mistakes. Susie Orman has made mistakes. Everyone has made mistakes with money at some point. Um, And neither Joe nor I wanted to be like, you know, the guru sitting at the top of the mountain saying like, follow me and you, everything will be fine. We want to say like, you can make mistakes and recover and do great. Uh, And so that's why Joe and I were both very open about financial mistakes that we had made um, in the book. And we wanted to make sure that it was clear to our readers that uh, we are coming at this from having been in the place where our readers might be, um, from having made mistakes that our readers might have made or worse mistakes than our readers might have made. So they can see that it doesn't have to be perfection from day one. 
Yeah. Well, and perfection just doesn't exist, you know, yes. <laughs> especially when you're learning something new. And I feel like that's something that we forget about because we're, we were taught in school and you kind of know this as a teacher, you, you get rewarded if you don't make mistakes and you get penalized if you do make mistakes. So, of course, as we get into adulthood, we do not want to make any mistake, whether it's, you know, just learning something new or, or no matter what it is. And, and for me, that was a hard thing for me to actually kind of embrace is it's OK to fail. It's OK to make mistakes because you will learn learn something or have an experience that will be helpful in the future. But I'm curious, since you mentioned you, you you kind of share some of your mistakes in the book, is there anything that you can kind of share with the <laughs> listeners right now that might be so, helpful? Sure. So um, my the mistake that I share is one that was not a uh, did not have a huge financial consequence, but it had a very large life consequence. And that is um, when I was 22, I uh, I got a tattoo. Like this is a real tattoo, mm-hmm. not a temporary right. tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was because um, I I broke up with some jabroni who was not worth not worth my time, and I I it, I cried. And just a couple of weeks later, my my grandma Ruthie, with whom I was very close, passed away. And I was very upset at myself for having wasted tears on this jabroni. <laughs> Yeah. When uh, I should save them for things that are important, like like missing my grandmother. So I decided, you know what, I want to I want to make sure that I remember this. I want to remember this moment. Remember how important my grandma was to me. Remember that I should save my tears for important things. So I'm going to get a teardrop tattoo on my shoulder. Now, mind you, my grandmother would have been horrified. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, please don't get a tattoo in my honor. (laughs) Horrified. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and uh, I uh, I it cost about one hundred and fifty dollars. I was in my early 20s. I, I had to take it out of my grocery budget. Um, and that was part of what felt like a um, uh, an honor for me, for my grandmother is like, you know, in one of the things that I think of is like you honor the people you love by being willing to sacrifice. And so that was one of the things like, okay, so, you know, I'm going to be eating ramen and tuna fish for, for a month um, because, because I'm doing this and that, that, that shows how much I love my grandmother. So I got this, this uh, tattoo and it was within 10 to 15 minutes of walking out of the tattoo parlor that I went, Oh my God, I just got permanent body modification. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what am I thinking? Um, and then it gets worse because it was about six months or a year later. Um, I found out that, uh, in gangland, a teardrop tattoo represents someone you've killed. Oh no! My tattoo seems to represent that I killed my grandmother. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I actually didn't know that. And that's, you'd think that like the tattoo artist would have been like, Hey, you know, cause it's like you're a 22 year old person's like, did you like, or maybe they didn't want to bring it up. Cause they're like, well, I don't want to bring up. (laughs) Maybe they were part of a gang and she did kill somebody. (laughs) Uh, And, and I think that it's, um, it's, it's more specifically uh, people who get them on their face. Whereas, cause mine's on my, my shoulder. Okay. So, um, I actually, I felt a great deal of shame about this, that, you know, I had, I had done this for, for many, many years and it took me well into my thirties before I was able to be, look, look at this story and go, this is objectively funny. You know, yeah. like, no matter That's funny. how you slice it, this is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I made this 
bad decision. I mean, I think I think I can say clearly this is a bad decision for very good reasons. You know, it was I was I was motivated by grief. I was motivated by love for my grandmother. I wanted to do something um, kind of dramatic to to show how I was feeling. Um, and while the one hundred and fifty dollars did blow a hole in my my early twenty something budget, it was not something that had long lasting consequences financially. But one could argue it has bigger consequences because unless I decide to get it removed, I will have that tattoo until I'm a wrinkly old lady. (laughs) Whereas Joe tells some stories about um, his financial mistakes. Um, Like uh, he he got a credit card when he was uh, first in college and without thinking about having to pay it off, he ran up a bill um, and then it went into collections and it was on his credit for a long, long time. And you might say like, oh, well, that's a worse financial decision because it had longer consequences, but it's gone now. There's no trace yeah, of it yeah. in his life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You you still have that. I still have my tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like one of the, I was, when you were just telling that story about the tattoo, I'm like, I feel like that is a great um, kind of metaphor or, or lesson in that you should never make a permanent, you know, mm-hmm. decision off of temporary emotions. <laughs> that, so that could be something. Yes. The psychologists actually um, say they, they have the um, acronym HALT. Don't make um, long-term decisions when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Um, and so it's, it's very similar to that. Um, and it, it's really helped me better understand, uh, my own impulsivity, uh, cause I don't think of myself as an impulsive person, but I, there's some impulsivity there if I, cause I could have thought about it for a year before I pulled the trigger, but no, I, I was like, I need to do it and I need to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like I've got the opposite where it's like I've been thinking of getting a tattoo for like a decade and mm-hmm. I'm like I just don't know what I want so I mm-hmm. still don't have a tattoo mm-hmm. so that's that's another problem it's like you could be impulsive or you could just be what is it the analysis paralysis where you just oh, never yeah. make a decision um, <laughs> yeah that's a satisficer or maximizer so uh, ah. if you're a satisficer is the person who like as soon as you find something that uh, meets all your bare minimum requirements you go all right great let's do it let's let's go with that maximizer is like you uh, have this assumption that there is a platonic ideal of whatever it is you're looking for out there and so you will not rest until you find it <laughs> yeah that's me that's yeah. like I, and also my husband which isn't really helpful because then it's like well we've been thinking about making this decision for a while or especially when we're trying to find like a you know an airbnb to book you're mm-hmm. like well there's so many we want to find the best one we're like we just need to pick one <laughs> <laughs> This isn't helpful. Yeah. And that, I think that's also a huge um, problem I've been seeing a lot in just a, the, the financial world is it's been there's so it's so much easier to get started. There's so many more apps and, and you know, ways to start investing. But because there's more options, there's kind of too many options. So people also, you know, on the other side of it now, they don't even know where to start and then they just do not do anything. And they just are kind of stuck a little bit, um, you know. But before let's kind of uh, before we wrap things up, because I know there's probably so many amazing gems in your book stacked. You know, part of the title says "Modern Money Management." It kind of made me think: Were there things that you're like, we needed to debunk this because this just isn't relevant anymore, or this is just bad financial advice that keeps on floating around? What What was it that you wanted to make sure we're going to talk about? You know, modern money. Is there anything that you're like? This stuff, you know, that's been floating around for a while, we need to get rid of that, get it out of your brain. It doesn't work anymore. 
Uh, the main thing that we wanted to kind of debunk and 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 uh, focus on is uh, when it comes to money, the advice is not really going to change. You know, it, it really is. You know, spend less than you earn. Put put money aside for retirement. You know, the, these these things are are uh, forever advice. Um, the problem is that there are new and exciting ways to spend money without leaving mm. your bedroom. <laughs> That's true. Mm -hmm. It used to be that, you know, if you didn't leave the house, you couldn't really spend money. Um, and so uh, there are a lot of like kind of old fashioned rules about like only carry cash because then you can't spend more than you have. Um, and that doesn't work in a an increasingly cashless society. Um, there there were rules about, uh, you know, freeze your credit card in a block of ice. Um, and, you know, when Amazon and Zappos and all of them uh, have your, your mm -hmm. uh, credit card information very helpfully yeah, you stored can your for Apple you. Wallet. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So um, and so that's where we wanted to kind of get into like. Um, modern problems require modern solutions. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, there, a lot of the things have not changed, but the hacks have to change because the tactics that the marketers um, and the people who want to separate you from your money use um, are constantly evolving and, and changing and getting better. And so we need to find new ways of, you know, kind of tricking ourselves into not spending money. <laughs> um and so, and that's, that's the sort of thing that, uh, it often comes down to like, well, just have self-discipline. Um, and that's a lot to ask, um, that particularly in the past few years, uh, I mean, I, I can recall during the, the lockdown, you know, the only exciting part of the day was when the deliveries came and like, Oh, something new from Amazon. What did we order or whatever? Um, and so, you know, finding ways to work around um, the the world as it is um, and our own impulses is a big part of what the modern money management. And so, you know, there's some relatively simple stuff like don't let your, uh, um, uh, you know, don't use Apple Wallet. Don't let your your um, uh, credit card information be saved on uh, um, on your favorite retail sites. Uh, there's there's other things like you know. Whenever you are about to make a purchase, stop and look for a coupon code. Whether or not you find one, that gives you enough distance between the moment of like, oh, I want this. And when you actually click buy that you can be like, do I really want or need this? And just the the, the exercise of find, trying to find the coupon code and going like, do I, do I really want this even if I can't find a coupon code? You know what? No, I'm really mad I can't find a coupon code. So no, I don't really want this. I don't need to spend the money. So those kinds of things, just um, giving yourself a pause in between wanting something and actually purchasing it, which was much more natural when we actually had to go to a store to buy things. I know it's so easy. I feel like especially, yeah, you know, when you mentioned the lockdown, I'm like the amount of people that just spent money because you needed something to do and you needed some kind of excitement. Mm -hmm. You needed something new in your life. And mm -hmm. I think because of that, even though we're no longer in lockdown, 
those spending habits are still, you know, in existence. That's why, you know, people are like, oh, the cost of living is so high. I'm like, yeah, because inflation, because everyone was spending so much money in such a, like, you know, in it's such a big mass. And it's hard for us to now, we're in a space where like, we all need to reel back so we can get inflation back down, guys. And it's hard to, to make that switch but ultimately you know eventually you have to find out those those tools that you can kind of uh utilize to to yeah and and for me too like I've been you know I started my first personal finance blog 11 years ago and so much has changed lots of the tools that I use back then don't work now and so that's the other thing to always keep in mind is it is going to be an evolution you know like that's the good and annoying thing with personal finance it's there's no such thing as a set for to get it i know all there is i can stop it's like uh, there's always going to be something you're like oh actually this doesn't work now i need to find a, a different solution for this problem because this isn't cutting it really so that's fun <laughs> uh yeah that's and that's something that i think can be tough um and one of the when you see kind of um um established personal finance media um, who are like, well, we'll just do this. And well, that might have worked in, you know, 2005, but yeah, that's, that's not a different how it time. works anymore <laughs> 17 years later. Um, and so, so you, you, you see a lot of kind of like calcified views of, of how money works and what to expect and all of that. And it's like, no, we, we need to kind of have a, a fluid um, view of how these things go so that we can change and be flexible when, um, you know, expectations changed, uh, marketing tactics change, you know, the, the world changes, like, you know, you go have a global pandemic um, and, and these these giant things that you just don't expect. Um, and so that's something that I think is really hard for people to um, to accept about finance because we think of it as this immutable, unchanging thing um, when it's more like language, which is constantly evolving and changing and, and the way we deal with it and, and react to it is constantly changing and evolving. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the perfect way to... to- explain that because yeah I mean there's so many new I mean maybe this is just because I've recognized it now because I'm not uh, a Gen Z but I'm like the the new words that keep on popping up that I'm like oh okay we got to say that this cool isn't cool anymore there's a new word for cool Uh, (laughs) it's the same thing with finance there's always going to be new ways Uh, yeah it's a different language and it's going to evolve over time so you just kind of have to always kind of keep tabs on it Um, well uh, I feel like, you know, there's obviously going to be so many more, um, you know, tips and, and helpful pieces of advice in your book stack. So I, I recommend people getting that. And of course, and financial stress now, I think those are a great pair because one is really about how people are feeling and then the other really about what can you do. Um, so, you know, where can people, you know, find copies of your books? And also if they want to find you online, where can they find you? So uh, you can find copies of all five of my books pretty much anywhere books are sold. Um, you know, the, the the big names, Amazon and all of that. But uh, I also like to recommend bookshop.org, um, which is a way to purchase books online that uh, benefits your local independent booksellers. Uh, then if you want to find me online, you can go to my website, emilyguyberkin.com. Um, I have a blog and newsletter, um, and would love to, to see you there. And then I have a, uh, sort of new project. Um, it's called your one good thing.com. Um, since 2018, I've been posting one good thing on, uh, social media every night. Um, and, uh, earlier this year, I decided to, um, start, uh, collating them basically on my, on, on, 
uh, its own site. So just to remind people that even on really tough days, there's always at least one good thing and to keep a lookout for those. Oh, I love that. I feel like there should just, yeah, like, especially since we kind of touched on it, there's a lot of negativity and judgment in personal finance. There needs to be more positivity and, uh, you know, getting into that practice. Um, actually, that's I feel like that's something me and my husband used to do. We had a little journal uh, of like, let's, you know, one good thing at the end of the day and yeah, like start yeah. doing that again. <laughs> yeah, that I love was, that. Um, that's great. For my my kids, uh, for a long time, part of our bedtime routine was they would call it, call it our gratefuls. And so we say, what are we grateful for tonight? And uh, they they would be often hilarious when they were little. Like uh, my one son was grateful for whales and his back. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. Another okay. one was grateful for fire trucks. I'm like, yes, indeed, they are awesome. Yes, they are great. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. I love. Well, that's a great note to kind of end off on. Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show and and sharing all of your such valuable kind of insight and advice. Uh, I really appreciate it. And hope uh, people check out your books. Thank you so much. I, I really had fun. And that was episode 346 with Emily Guy Birkin. Make sure to uh, check her out at her website, emilyguyberkin.com. And you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Emily Guy Birkin. Very easy to find her. Of course, another easy way to find more information about her and some of the links um, to her books, her website, her socials is just to check out the show notes for this episode on my website, jessicamorehouse.com slash 346. And if you want to check out the show notes for any episode you've ever listened to, you can either go to just jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast or jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is. Um, And you can, you know, check out, you know, years past if you want go crazy look at the archive check it out um i've got of course some things to share with you so do not go away including me giving away a copy of one of emily's books one of her many books (laughs) so stick around i just want to share a few words about this season's podcast sponsor this episode of the more money podcast is supported by desjardins do you feel valued at your financial institution? Because Desjardins is on a mission to enrich the lives of Canadians, help build stronger communities, and educate its members so they can confidently reach their financial goals. Not only do they offer one-of-a-kind customer care and offer a variety of financial services to fit your needs, as a cooperative, they put their members first. So if you're looking for an institution that's making an impact, look no further than Desjardins. To learn more about Desjardins and how they're making a difference, Visit Desjardins.com. All right, first and foremost, let's get to some of the exciting things, which is a reminder that I'm doing a huge book giveaway. And really, the time is running out for you to enter to win one of these books because I like to close it um, pretty much, maybe I give it like a week or so um, after the season ends. And for your reference point, this season, season, what are we, 15 of the show, it is going to wrap on our last episode on, well, I don't know if I've decided if I'm going to do a solo episode. Sometimes I like to do a solo episode to end off the year. We will see. But so far right now, I do like the idea of ending on 350. You know what? I don't, yeah, I'm going to end it on 350, which is um, December 21st. And then maybe I'll do a solo episode to kind of start next season, season 16. So anyways, with that said, don't take your time. Make sure you go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest and it'll direct you to a page where it has all the books that I'm giving away. You can enter to win all of them. If you're lucky, you will only win one of them, but there's you've got some good chances. A lot of people, I think they think about entering and they don't. Your chances are good. And also, fun fact, I buy these books so I can support these authors 
and I mail them directly to you from me to you with a cute little note in there nice and personalized, like a nice little, you know, Christmas present or holiday present, whatever you you celebrate, a nice little present for me. How exciting. So go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest to enter. And I'm going to be giving away because there's lots of her, uh, books. I, I decided I'm going to give away her new book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. And uh, yeah, so make sure to check that out. All right, what else do I want to share? Well, number one, so I have talked about this a, a little bit in the past, but it's kind of exciting. I don't think it's a secret. I'm going to share it on the podcast. Um, (laughs) so I was approached, gosh, in the spring to apply to this kind of YouTube accelerator program to kind of jumpstart my YouTube, you know, do better at YouTube, basically, um, something that I like doing and I just haven't really figured out the secret sauce to, to make it, uh, you know, just as big as the podcast, really. Um, and anyways, then I was approached this fall because they're running another one. And so I'm like in this program to learn how to do YouTube better, which is just to say, I'm going to be making a lot more YouTube videos. I'm going to make better YouTube videos because I'm learning what I can do better. I'm making some fresh, new, fun YouTube thumbnails, putting some Instagram, no, what's it called? YouTube shorts. You know, there's too many things. Is the TikToks, Instagram reels, YouTube shorts. They're all kind of the same thing, but different names. Um, So make sure to subscribe and check my YouTube channel out because I will be, you know, putting out a lot more videos moving forward because I want it to be as consistent as this podcast because it is a different medium. I do talk about different things. I'm not interviewing guests um, for like 30, 40 minutes is usually like a 10 to 15 minute video on a specific uh, topic. Um, Very educational. Um, I like it. So check it out. You can find me at jessicamorehouse.com slash YouTube or um, I'm not sure how it works, but they gave me like a handle. So I'm at Jessica Morehouse. I don't know. If you just go to YouTube, Google Jessica Morehouse, I'll pop right up. So make sure to check me out on the YouTubes. And, uh, you know, speaking of YouTube, um, and I think I mentioned this on my my last uh, episode. So I have I'm still updating all my budget spreadsheets. I've released the first one, which, you know, many of you have, um, which is kind of my OG, the original um, budget spreadsheet. The first budget spreadsheet I ever released is for people who, if you're like an employee and you're an individual or you are in a couple and both of you and your partner are employees, so you don't earn any self-employed income. It's pretty straightforward how you earn your income. That spreadsheet is ready to go. It was free. I'm now charging because guess what? It took a lot of work <laughs> to get to get it uh, to, together, but it's cheap as heck. It is $29 Canadian, you guys. So make sure to grab it. It is better than ever, in my opinion. And there's a fresh uh, tutorial on how it works on my YouTube channel. So even before you buy it, you can check out if you, you know, is this something for you? Do you like it? You can check it out before you purchase it or download it on my YouTube channel. So there you go. Um, also, I made a video for anyone who is similarly, you know, studying for for the CFP or I mean, I'm not at that point quite yet, but you're on the route. I did make a very niche video about if you want to pass financial planning to by the Canadian Securities Institute. I made a video on how to pass that exam. There's probably five people in the whole world. But hey, you know, I've made videos on on how to uh, pass financial planning one and the Canadian securities course and people watch those. So I thought I'd do it again. And uh, I've got the T because I just passed the exam. So if you're interested, check that out. Um, let's see what else. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of leave you the, with this just, just because, Hey, why not? Um, so I, you know, pretty much recorded or booked the rest 
of the guests for this season, which, like I mentioned earlier, is going to wrap up on December 21st. However, because I I usually, and let me, let me look at my little spreadsheet for season 16, I have plans and, you know, this is likely the plan that I'm going to resume the podcast on January 18th. That season will run until about June 28th, I have it in the calendar. That's about 23 episodes. I want to book, I want to, you know, start booking and interviewing some guests for that season in advance. So I'm not rushed in January. I want to have a little bit of a, you know, buffer. Um, so with that, if you have any specific person that you would like me to interview who would make sense for this show, who is an expert in the field of finance, investing, entrepreneurship, I mean, no one's sleazy. Man, do I get a lot of people who apply to be on the show that, uh, you know, just like kind of the cringiest kind of things you get people you can find on you know youtube or social media is like i you know retired at you know 12 years old and make a bazillion dollars every month you know it's it's unrealistic ridiculous crap and usually find out how they get rich and it's like hawking i don't know bitcoiners (laughs) i don't know something weird so um i'm looking for legitimate you know experts people that um, really know that have an interesting story or have an interesting perspective. You kind of get a feel if you've looked at lots of my episodes and listened to a lot of my episodes who would be a good fit. Um, so let me know. Like, hit me up, DM me on Instagram or Twitter, send me an email, jessica at jessicamorehouse.com. Or, you know, there's a contact form you can use on my website, jessicamorehouse.com slash contact, where you can reach me. Tell me who you would love to see on the show, and I will do my best to find out how I can get them on the show. Believe me, I've got some powers. And honestly, I'm pretty good. Like, there's only been, I would say, maybe two, possibly three people who I've asked to be on the show who said no. And yeah, I have like almost, you know, 350 episodes, you know. So I've got some persuasive powers, except for those few, few people. And I will never, never let that go. I'm I'm so irritated that people have said no to me. Hey, people are allowed to say no. But why can't they just say yes and be on my show? You know, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) They're busy and they have other things to do. That's why, Jessica, and I'm not paying them. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, But yeah, if you have suggestions, please let me know because I would love to hear them. Sometimes I feel like I'm just too in my little you know, my bubble, my mind, um, you know, I need to kind of branch out. And so I would love a fresh idea. Please help help a girl out. That would be great. Um, anyways, that is really it for me. I've, I've been talking your air off. I apologize. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of you for supporting the show, listening. I love getting messages saying that you love the show. It honestly brings me so much joy and I, I, it really, really is the best thing ever. So thank you. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Big shout out, of course, to my wonderful podcast editor who I can do the show without, Matt Rideout. And I will see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. Have a great weekend. See you here, back, back here very soon. All right, bye. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.